Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Uh, we are starting a new series. It's going to kind of be throughout the summer. We'll have a couple of standalone sermons. We're going to be looking at the life of David. So our main text that I'm going to be looking at, if you have your Bibles, you want to open up your Bible apps. I know you'd only be looking at your Bible apps on your phone. There's no way you'd be looking at scores of sports or anything like that. I know you're going to be very dedicated and committed to only looking at the Word or taking notes on your phone. So if you have your Bible, Bible app, you want to look on there, Second Samuel chapter 12. We'll, of course, we'll have it on the screens for you as well. Uh, we, as we enter into this summer, uh, I want to talk to that specifically today. And, uh, and something that we can learn from David when he was hit, heading into a different season. The interesting thing about David is, other than Jesus, nobody in the Bible had more written about him than David. Clearly, there's a lot of emphasis on him. And uh, there are some things about, G- about David that I would not encourage you to emulate uh, or to model in your life. Parenting, honestly, would be one of them. Uh, I wouldn't encourage you to follow his model for parenting. It kind of went south on him in his latter years with his children. He did not read James Dobson on how to raise godly kids, clearly. Uh, but David did wind up being such an amazing king that God used him as the standard to compare all future kings to. He was the measuring stick of a good king. So it would be like in the NBA, if you wanted to talk about whether or not a player was a good player or not, you would compare that player to the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, uh, to find out if he was, if they, how do they compare to that? And, and because he's the standard, okay? And if you don't agree with that, you just don't understand basketball or sports. And you may watch them, but it's very casual for you, clearly. And you're not even really a fan of basketball. You may not even understand, like, sports at all uh, if you don't understand that Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Uh, amen. I mean, I'm preaching up here, people, and, and I've got some amen, in, and i got some of you that look a little, you know, like you'd like to come punch me. And that's okay. That's all right. I get that. David was a good king. But the amazing thing, I think the encouraging thing about David is we know he was anything but perfect. We know that he committed adultery, he committed murder. We know he wasn't a good parent. And in spite of all that, he still was this standard for all future kings coming forward. But he made a horrible decision because there was a season where he was supposed to be going out and defending his kingdom, which ultimately was God's kingdom. And there's a great parallel for us to look at in that. Because it says that in the springtime, when all the other kings were going out and waging war. Why? Because it was the most favorable season. The weather, the rivers, a lot of things, if they didn't fight wars during that time, then it wouldn't happen. And some of you are like, well, then great. No war is fine. But that you don't understand in the culture at that time, 
if you didn't get out and fight, you were gonna have your land taken from you. You had to go fight or you would lose your sovereignty, okay? So instead of going out, David sent all of his generals, he sent his army out, but he didn't go out in that season. He remained at home, most of us know the story, but he got lazy, he got complacent, he, he saw a woman bathing, he lusted after her and he wanted her, so he had her husband put in a position in a battle where he knew he would be killed. He used his position, he used his money, he used his power to take this man's wife, to make her his own, okay? Uh, and so what I wanna look at is I wanna look at kind of the ramifications of that and what we can learn from it. Uh, have you ever seen a great leader lose their way? Have you ever seen a great company lose their way? We, right now, there's a, there's a whole list of companies that most of us we're very familiar with, like they've existed, but they don't exist anymore because somewhere along the way, they, they lost vision or they lost their purpose or they just weren't able to get the right kind of wisdom to continue to exist. Kodak, gone. Radio Shack, gone. I liked Radio Shack, I really did. Circuit City, gone. Motorola, gone. Reader's Digest, whatever happened to those guys? Oh, that's right, they're not on the internet. Zenith, remember Zenith? How about Yahoo? How many of you are old enough that at one point or another in your life you said, I'm gonna Yahoo that? instead of Google that. But they all lost their way. I think some is because they thought they were too big to fall. I definitely think that about like Blockbuster, you know, companies like that. I mean, they, they just got too big for their britches. Well, God's word says pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before destru destruction. It's when you're thinking that you're great, that's when Humpty Dumpty falls. In Deuteronomy 17, God told Moses how to select a king of Israel. And he talked about being careful that they're not trying to get power. And he describes horses, that they're not craving money. He describes gold and silver, that they don't have a lust for women, that they have too many wives. And the truth is this, pretty much everyone in this room, if you were going to categorize Areas of primary sin that a lot of us fall into, there's really four main areas. There's a lust of, for sex, a lust for power, a lust for money, or a lust for getting high. A lot of our sins and struggles will fall under one of those categories. So David didn't have a problem with power or riches, but he did have a problem with women. Interesting, the Bible also says at one point, David made Uriah drunk with him. So he may have also had an issue with substance abuse. I have noticed, side note, that when people are struggling in seasons of not having biblical wisdom, they are having a difficult time living with a sound mind, that even if it's not apparent to everyone around them, I have found and learned that a lot of times there is some sort of struggle behind the door, at least, with some sort of substance abuse. Alcohol, either prescription or non-prescription drugs, I find that a lot of times those things will be attributed in those seasons, even if it's not apparent publicly. People will have issues when they're lacking wisdom. 
chemical substances. Acts 13.22 says this. Before I read it, I, I, I think it's important to point out this is the New Testament. This is hundreds of years after David. And there's a lot of encouragement in that fact. It says, after removing Saul, he made David, God made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Well, clearly, there were some things that David did that weren't what God would want him to do. And so why, why way after the fact, is the Bible saying that David was a man after God's own heart, the dude that committed adultery and murdered somebody. How is he a man after God's own heart? Well, I think it's not because of his sin, but how he handled his sin as much as anything, okay? And that's what I wanna learn from. The great thing about this verse is it shows us all that God is always looking to our potential more than our faults and failures. I'm really thankful that Jesus walked around seeing people through the eyes of faith, that Jesus sees me through the eyes of faith, always speaking to who people could be. And as a church, that's who we have to be. As a body of Christ, that's who we have to be, people who see others for who they could be, even if they're not there yet. Not what they are right now. Have you ever been called by your mistake? Have you ever been labeled by your failure? Maybe even a Christian did that to you. Here's a good question though. How do you know when things are breaking down? It's really difficult to know when things are breaking down when you feel like you're on top of the world. Like the truth is all of us have ebbs and flows of life and sometimes it feels like you're on the mountaintops and sometimes it feels like you're in the valleys. And I will say that a lot of times when you're on the mountaintops is when you can be the most susceptible because everything's going pretty good. How do you know when things are breaking down? It's hard to see your weakness when life is going really well, especially when you're the biggest thing happening in your own brain. You can't see accurately when that happens. It's important to know that the most powerful force on earth is not you. He is the Holy Spirit. But he is a gentleman. And he backs off when you don't think you need him. In Psalm 32, 3, it says this, When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groan all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. This is David writing this. This is what he was writing as he was carrying this sin. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. That problem that you can't or won't talk about or admit has now become two problems. It was the original sin itself and it's now what's happening to your heart, to your mind and to your emotions because you're carrying around the guilt, the shame and condemnation as a result of it. But fortunately for David, God sent him a man named Nathan. And I will say everyone needs a friend like Nathan. Proverbs 27, six says this, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. A pastor friend said it this way, don't be afraid of the yells of your enemies, be incredibly intimidated by the silence of your friends. 
Nathan was a guy who was not going to be silent when it came to David. He told him that he was not going to be the one to build the temple because there was too much blood on his hands. He was the one that told him that when his kids were off track and that they were plotting this evil plan. We need a friend, by the way, who can tell us from time to time when our kids are off track. And that's huge in our culture because I find that I can tell people that they may be off or they may be wrong in a lot of different areas. But the moment that I bring up the fact that maybe one of their kids is off track, one of their kids that they have glorified, they're not that open to that anymore. It gets pretty sensitive. But I think all of us, because we get jaded when it comes to our kids. I've been guilty of this. Like, I don't like it when somebody comes and tells me that one of my kids has an attitude problem or they're being rebellious or they're being a little twerp or a little jerk. I don't, I don't necessarily like that. And I don't receive that from everyone, but I have people that I trust that I'm gonna draw near that'll let me know when my kids are acting one way around everyone else in a different way when they're around our home. You need to have people like that. I think especially in this culture and in our community where we have a tendency to create idols of our children, where we will put their needs, their joy, their happiness way over the will, plan, and kingdom of God and even his word. We need to have people in our lives that can tell us. But this guy had favor. He was able to tell David some of these things were difficult to hear. He was a personal prophet to David. Some of us might be thinking, you know, it'd be kind of nice to have a personal prophet. That sounds kind of nice. Now, before you think that, let me point out two things. First of all, you may want to have a personal prophet, but I don't think you'd like it that much when that personal prophet starts calling you out in front of everybody, which is what he did to David. Okay, you probably wouldn't like that. Second of all, most people aren't doing what the Lord has clearly already told them to do in this book. Why would you need another word from God that you're not going to do either? Just start with this, and then maybe God will send you a prophet to give you a little extra. That one stung a little bit, I think. Also, just to note, just because somebody says God said doesn't mean God said it. If it doesn't line up with his word, it doesn't line up with his character, it's not God. No matter how nice they try to make it sound, when people start justifying things that are from God and it doesn't line up with his word and it doesn't line up with his character, it doesn't matter. They can try to slather Jesus on top of it all day long, but it doesn't mean it's from him. Nathan was amazing. Uh, he actually wrote a book about the reign, the reign of King Solomon. Just a side note, there's actually 22 other books that aren't in the canonized scripture that the Bible talks about. It's just that most of them haven't been found. Um, but he actually wrote one of those books about the reign of King Solomon. And I wanna read though about this account that Samuel had when Nathan came to confront David. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and one and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little you lamb, you, you lamb. He had that he had bought. He raised it, grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came 
to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb of belonging to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David in front of everybody, and we've all been reading about it for a hundred generations, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Pause there. God knows what you need. God knows what you need. Sometimes you feel like you don't have what you need or what you deserve, and so you take matters into your own hands. God knows what you need. You can trust him in the seasons when it doesn't feel like your needs are being met because God knows what you need. And if you will trust him, he will hook you up. You go about it by your own means, your own judgment, your own desire, your own want in a moment. You may get something, but it won't be from God. It'll be of your own doing and it won't last. You'll wind up being miserable with it. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now before now before the sword will ever now therefore the sword will never deport from your depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Hmm. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Bummer. So, yeah, you know what? Nathan was right. On this day, he was right in this moment. He clearly was speaking for God. But you know what? David knew way before Nathan showed up that he was wrong. But he kept trying to deny the truth. This is a classic example of this phrase. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And it wound up costing David a lot. There are natural and spiritual consequences for sin no matter how much you don't want it to happen. So I want to talk to you about some early signs of sin. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is because we're heading into summertime. My experience as a pastor is that summertime can be very vulnerable for people. Uh, I think some it's because once you step out of the routine of school, like there's a rhythm that all of us have. And once that structure is gone and there's a lot more freedom and flexibility, sometimes our guard drops. 
We get complacent, we get apathetic. There is nothing wrong with resting. There's nothing wrong with spending a season where you just recharge, you build memories with your kids, you spend some time at the lake, you spend some time at the beach, you spend some time doing those types of things, but you better be careful that you don't neglect his kingdom in the midst of you enjoying what he's given you here. That you don't neglect your personal relationship with him your intimacy with your Father God in the midst of you enjoying this season. Because what winds up happening, my experience is, is that people will have these issues that are just kind of under the surface. And sometimes they're personal, sometimes they're character issues, sometimes they're relational issues. And those things are there and they think, if we can just get to summer, everything will be fine. And so they go throughout summer and then the fall hits and what they're learning is, that vacation, that time off, all those things didn't fix any of this. It didn't fix my marriage. It didn't fix my finances. It didn't fix any of these other issues. It didn't fix the secret sins that I've always, I thought maybe if we just had some time off, if we could just get away from everything, if we could just do those things, that those things would be fixed. And they're not, and then I get to hear about it. And I'm thankful to be in the position and I'm thankful that God gave me the calling and I'm honored to be able to step in and we're honored to step in as a church and to help when that season comes. But I would rather, and I think you would rather, I know that you would rather go ahead and figure it out now so that you can have a summer that actually can be blessed by God and you don't have to get weaker and susceptible and fall into sin. Can I get an amen from anybody? Some signs that you may be heading into sin when our craving outweighs our conviction. Temptation is attractive, otherwise it wouldn't be tempting. The devil is really good at knowing what you crave. Why? Because typically he put the, crave there, the craving there to start with. And the craving is really what the world would just call fantasy. It's a mental image and a craving to carry out that fantasy. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, a fantasy. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then there's typically a cover-up. And sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. It's gonna take you further than you wanted to go. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That's huge because we live in a culture where culture is trying to make Jesus and the standard of the word of God a moving target. Where it's like, no, if it sounds nice, if it sounds loving, if it sounds accepting, if it sounds all this, then, then that's gotta be Jesus. Again, Jesus won't contradict his character. He won't contradict his word. He won't do it. It wouldn't be loving. I promise you, it is not loving for him to compromise his word, compromise his character. Anything that isn't Jesus is sand and you can't build your life on it. It will always shift. So Jesus has to be the standard. His word has to be the standard. Our sinful cravings, they're impractical ideas. They are fiction. They are imaginary. We had one of our campus pastors, he was, uh, had an opportunity to go speak in Colorado and it was in the winter time. And as a part of them inviting him out to speak, they were gonna set it up for he and his family and his kids to go skiing. Well, one morning while the dad was preparing, the kids went out early and hit the slopes. And one of the kids, one of 
his sons, decided that he was going to go and try to go down the most difficult double black diamond run on the whole mountain. And so the pastor winds up getting a call uh, that the ski patrol had to go get his son because his son just fell down the mountain and hurt himself, just tumbled all the way down this run and hurt himself. So the dad went to go and get the son, and he's like, what were you thinking? Like, why, what? you've never been skiing before. Why did you think that this was a good idea? This was the son's response. Well, dad, I'm really, really good at skiing on a video game, and I just thought that that would translate to me being good at skiing in real life. Some of your kids think this way. <laughs> it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. And the fantasy in your mind will never play out that way in real life. It'll never play out that, real, that way in real life. It's interesting. Some of us remember, how many of y'all remember growing up and your parents had really interesting standards of what was safe and what was not? Like I remember, like my parents bought me guns and just said, go. Here, take, take this BB gun and just go. Like anywhere, anywhere. Or, or we'd go and, and get on a bike and just ride everywhere. Our parents didn't even know where we were. They'd just be like, come home sometime before dark. There's no, it's, like, it's like, okay, so, so I've got transportation and a weapon. <laughs> and they're not worried about it, okay? But, but so they do stuff like that, like buy me, like I pocket, I, I was fully armed. Like, and I'm just out killing birds I shouldn't be killing and like, oh, you know. And then, but then there were other times where they would get, they'd freak out about stuff. One of my favorite is, don't run with scissors. You just sent me with a weapon into the world and now you're worried about, on a bike and now you're worried about me running with scissors? It didn't make sense to me. But I will say this, one of the most dangerous things you can do is run with one of your cravings, even a few steps. There's a lot of things in life that they're really not that serious as far as cravings. Like all of us have some cravings when it comes to food, right? We all got that. I'm gonna make you hungry right now, okay? You're gonna start thinking about this. Well, I've got, I've got, I've got some, I know that some of y'all have some serious cravings addictions, I would say, because I do a lot of my sermon prepping in coffee shops. And I've seen many of you come in there. Uh, but, but you don't like coffee, by the way. You like frappuccinos. You, you like having your adult smoothie. That's what you have, okay? But you, and I think you just think, well, it's from a coffee shop, so it's got to be healthier, right? But most of you don't like coffee. You like sugar, okay? Uh, and you have those cravings. I get that, all right? I want to just admit in front of everybody, I may be a little addicted to caffeine, just slightly, just a little bit. And, and, and this is one of the ways that it manifests. I live 300 yards from a Casey's gas station. I know because I've paced it out. I know exactly how close it is. And, 
And the problem is it's right on the way home. And so there are many days I'm driving by Casey's. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's anything in there that I would want at all. And I know exactly what's in there that I want because it's a two-for-one energy drink that's sugar-free. I know what cooler it's in. I know what flavors that I like. And I'll go in there and I'll buy a couple of them because who doesn't need 800 milligrams of caffeine before they go to bed every day? The other day I was proud of myself because I knew my... my tendencies. I knew I would have a craving for this. And so as I was driving, even before I got to Casey's, which is a good lesson for life, don't wait till you're in the middle of the battle to decide how you're going to win the battle. No, before you get there, I'm like, I'm going to be driving past Casey's and today I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to get those energy drinks. Not today, Satan. And so I just drove right on by Casey's and I was like, you are a man of God. And I didn't even do anything. So there's stupid stuff like that. And we all have those cravings. All of us have made the decision to go and get that food that we know is horrible for us. And we will gorge ourselves. And it's only after we've eaten the Taco Bell that we're miserable that we realize I've made a grave mistake. (laughs) But how many of y'all know? Let a couple weeks pass. We'll be willing to try again. Even a couple of days. For Ricky, it's 12 hours. He's willing to try again. And those things, they're not great. They're certainly not healthy. Could you imagine if we just all consumed everything that we crave when it comes to food anytime we wanted to? Well, the fact is some people do everything their sinful nature wants every time it asks them. And we're incredibly unhealthy spiritually. And when you get to that place, only divine intervention can rescue you. Jesus is gonna have to step in. You're gonna have to see it though. John 8, 34, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Only Jesus can do that. Sin is like a cancer, and it will not rest until it consumes everything. Jesus is a healer. And even if you feel like you may be in the, right in the middle of it right now, giving yourself over to that craving, it's not too late. Jesus can still heal. Number two, when we cover up instead of come clean. When we cover up instead of come clean. Have you ever noticed that the cover-up is almost always worse than the actual sin itself? Can you think of any example when someone tried to cover up a mistake? I don't know, like anything political, potentially, out there that might seem like there's a cover-up. But how about in a church? How about with a pastor? Any husbands, wives, teenagers? I promise you, if you had a teenager at one point or another, they cover something up. How about you? You ever hit a sin? The worst thing that can ever happen to you is the cover-up working. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. You don't think so, but I promise you, the worst thing that can happen to you is you not get caught. Because of how it's gonna tear you up. 
in the inside. Some of us remember turning on a TV many years ago and watching a white Ford Bronco drive down a freeway with like 50 cop cars behind it. And I think I, like many of us, thought, why would anyone innocent be driving away from that many police officers for that long? And then I remember watching a trial on TV probably way more than any of us should ever watch a trial on TV. And when it came down to it, a group of his peers said that O.J. Simpson was innocent. Some people think that he is innocent. Some people think that he's guilty. This is what I do know. His only chance, if he's guilty, is he's got to admit it. And he's the only one that can make that decision. And if he is guilty, I promise you, he is absolutely miserable and will be for the rest of his life. He may have gotten away with it on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity, but he didn't really get rid of anything. He's paying for it right now. And it's horrible. The same thing happens to us. So why does that happen? Because David, I think the shepherd boy David would have been convicted about lusting after Bathsheba. I think David as a young man would have been like, oh, I gotta, I gotta stay away from this. He would have been so convicted so what's the difference? Because then King David walks through adultery and then covers it with murder. Why? Because when you become king or queen in your own mind, then you believe you deserve the title and you become entitled and then your heart gets hardened. When you see yourself in your own mind as deserving, don't I deserve? I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have this. I deserve to have them. I deserve. And when you get that into that place, it's dangerous because then you'll convince yourself that it's God's will and you'll harden your, your heart to his conviction trying to tell you, no, this is not from me. Someone once said, the same sun that shines down on earth will harden the clay or melt the wax. It depends on the substance that it's being applied to. Your heart will either be that clay that'll harden when it's exposed under the light of Jesus Christ, or your heart will be like wax that softens and becomes pliable and moldable when that conviction comes. You get to decide if you have a hard heart or a teachable heart. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That's a great indicator. If you're still dealing with regret, you didn't have godly repentance. You may have had remorse, but you didn't have godly repentance. Worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow just doesn't want to get caught. Or if it does get caught, it doesn't want to admit that it's wrong. So David is so deceived that Nathan has to trick him to see it again. That's because sin is like mind control. Another sign of sin, when we critique in others what we condone in ourselves. We get mad at other people that we believe are liars or hiding the truth. They should be in jail. But have you ever hit anything? Have you ever hit anything? You ever hit anything like, I don't know, on a computer? In a browse history? You ever hit anything? 
David was furious at the man in the story. He thought the man should die. He didn't even know the whole time the man was him. We are so good at assessing sin in other people. And we don't address it in our own lives. Because it's much easier to be furious at others and the sin that they struggle with so we don't have to deal with our own weaknesses. When I teach on forgiving others, people resist, but typically they start softening when they remember that there's probably somebody that has to forgive them too for something they did. So what can we learn from the sin of David? I have 18 quick points. I'm just joking. There's really just one thing. Here's your takeaway. Why was David still called a man after God's own heart? Repentance is for now. Repentance is for now. Repentance is not a bad word. There is life, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is wholeness, there is healing, there is reconciliation and repentance. It's for now. Acts 17.30, the times, in the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Just so you know, you're not ignorant. Even if you're ignorant before this service, you're not anymore. God's called us all to repentance. Matthew 3.2, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. These are the first words out of Jesus' mouth in his formal ministry. The first message that Jesus gave was, stop, stop, turn away, turn towards me because the kingdom of God is at hand. Eternity is at hand. My plan, my purpose, my life and life to the full is at hand. If you wanna see it, if you wanna live it, if you want to experience it, you want other people to experience it through you, stop, turn away, turn towards me. And if you'll do that, his grace, his mercy. It doesn't mean that you, there may not be a consequence that you have to pay, but I promise you the consequence that you may have to pay is far less than the consequence that you're gonna to have to pay if you continue to carry it. Repent. Repent. I hope you hear that different than you might have heard a preacher yelling and screaming and beating the pulpit and pushing his Bible in your face maybe over the course of your life. And this is not about condemnation. It's not about shame. It's not about any of those things. It's about a desire that your heavenly father has for you to walk in freedom and wholeness and in healing. It happens repentance. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. The truth hurts, but it sets you free. And the first thing I want to do is just give an opportunity for anybody that's here that has never experienced true repentance in relation to the relationship with God. The truth is Christians have to repent all the time. But the way that we create a lifestyle of walking out repentance is it starts with initiating 
repentance with Jesus, initiating relationship with our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus, asking for forgiveness. And there are some of you, you may have wore the title of Christian your whole life, but you have never truly, genuinely surrendered to Him. And an evidence of that is you are not walking out repentance even now. There's areas of your life that you continue to live in and walk in that are so far away from God's plan and his purpose and certainly outside of what his word would set as the standard. And there's a really good chance that the reason why that's happening is because you don't have conviction. Conviction only comes through the spirit of God and relationship with the spirit of God comes through surrender. It's coming to him and admitting, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself. My sin separates me from a holy God, but I'm willing to admit it and come to him right now. And if you're in this place and you're ready and you know that you need to do that, maybe you felt like you had a genuine relationship with the Lord at one point, but you have walked away from him. You haven't been close to him. You have no peace and no confidence about a relationship with him right now. No confidence about your eternity. And so whether that's because you need to come back to him or you need to come to him for the first time, today can be the day of your salvation. You just have to choose. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. I want you to symbolize your willingness to admit that you're broken and lost without him. Not because I need to see it, not because it's what gets you saved, but because I know that the moment that you're willing to admit it, you're gonna feel his grace and his love overwhelm you like you never have before. And if you're here today and you know you need to admit that, there's gonna be people that are praying for you all around you. And you don't need to worry about anybody else because this is the most important decision that you can ever make because it doesn't just affect your life now, it affects your eternity. Heaven and hell are real. We will spend eternity in one place or the other. And the only way you can know that you're gonna spend eternity in heaven is by surrendering to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you know that you need to do that, nobody else is looking around and I'm not trying to embarrass you. I wanna ask you just to admit it by putting your hand up right now across this room. I need to surrender to Jesus. Make eye contact with me as soon as I see you. Put your hand down, got it, thank you. Anybody else? I need to surrender to Jesus. The house lights are really down, so it may be difficult. Got you, got you. Anybody else? Thank you. Yes, sir, thank you. I got it. Those of you that are, even now, as soon as you raise your hand, it's like, man, that feels so much better. It's hard, I don't want to, but it feels so much better just being real, being honest. Anyone else? I need need to surrender to Jesus. I, I don't, I'm tired of doing this. Okay, I got you. Anybody else? I need to surrender to Jesus. Yes, yes. Anyone else? I'm away from him. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to stop doing this thing. I'm I'm tired of trying to do life on my own. I'm ready to surrender my life to my creator, my heavenly father who loves me. Anyone else? I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. Yes, thank you, I love you. 
Jesus loves you. Anyone else? I know I need to. I'm away from him. I'm ready for that sun to start melting me instead of hardening me. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. I, I see you. Anyone else? Okay. If you raise your hand, we're just going to respond. His Holy Spirit is the one that leads you to that point where you say, man, that's me. I, no one else can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So we just want to respond to him. And you can just say a prayer. Just talk to him. Say something like this. Say, Jesus, I know that I need you because I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. I come to you now. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave so that I could have the hope of heaven, so could I have a purpose and a life in you, and I surrender to you. I repent. I turn away from living for myself, living the way the world would want me to live. I wanna live for you according to your word, power of your spirit, and being connected to the body of Christ, your church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. And I know that I'm starting the process of repentance. I'm going to walk this out. But I thank you, God. There's never going to be a season where I have to hesitate coming to you. Give me the grace. Give me the strength. Father, give us all the grace and strength to not wait, to run to repentance. Thank you, Jesus. And in Jesus' name, this summer will be one of those anointed, powerful, restful summers that we've ever had. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. A bunch of people responded to Jesus. Let's give them a hand. Let's give the Lord a hand.